Hey, good morning. Hey, it's great to be here. My name is Adam. I work on staff here as the pastor of student ministries, which is a fancy title, meaning I get to go on that retreat. So if you are a sixth grader through 12th grader, I would love for you to come. Hey, as, uh, as Matt introduced, uh, we are going to be in a new series called The Father's Heart, and we're going to be in 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John. I want you to know when, uh, when sermon series or, or what books we're going through in Scripture pop up here at Mission View, that is not just kind of chosen randomly. Uh, sometimes I think we like to just kind of flip this open and, our, and stick our finger in here and pick something at random, but that's not what we've done here. Uh, as Matt came in and observed Mission View and observed the, the transition and the, the, the challenges that we've gone through regarding Steve and and as we've experienced some growth over the summer, I think it was decided uh, that we wanted to ask the question, what would benefit Mission View as we study God's Word? And ultimately, we decided that our church could use some encouragement. And so between Philippians, which we just covered about, about joy, and now First John, which we're talking about love, the hope is that we as a church can grow closer to God in a refreshing and encouraging way. There are times when churches need to go through uh, hard conversations and, and, and even disciplinary measures as, as a whole church body. And there are, there are whole books of scripture about that sort of thing. But right now we want to focus on, uh, as we've just finished, joy and now the love of God. So if you look back on even some of the songs we've sang this morning, they're intentional. They're done intentionally. I know Matt and Jesse and Jordan work hard on, on selecting music for us every, uh, every Sunday morning. And we're going to be here until the beginning of December where we'll start an Advent series leading up to Christmas. So one important thing when you, whenever you start a new book is to, my fuzzing, one important thing when you start a new book is to understand the context. The context is important because it will give us a better idea of the text. So 1 John was written by, any guesses, John. The Apostle John was the same John who wrote the gospel book, the same John who had uh, a vision of end times and wrote the, the last book in our, in our Bible, Revelation, not to be confused with John the Baptist. He was a fisherman, one of Jesus' disciples. He was uh, uneducated. He was a, a simple blue-collar guy, uh, but what made him entirely extraordinary and interesting, really. What made him interesting is the fact that he was an eyewitness of Christ's life. He even regards himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you read through the book of John, he, he references himself that way often. And he wrote this book in, in Ephesus around 90 to 95 AD. And I say this not so that everybody can remember the exact date. And I think sometimes we hammer in ourselves that we need to know the exact date of everything, but it's rather important for us to remember that this is a historical book. This is a text. This is something, an event that happened in history. And so sometimes for me, when I put dates to things, I can say, oh, this is when that happened. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not difficult for me to grasp, oh, this happened in 200 BC or, or 90 to 95 AD around there. And it was written to a particular people and in a particular place at a particular time. So he's writing to the churches in and around Ephesus. These are primarily a Gentile or non-Jewish group of people. And he intended it to be kind of circulated amongst them. And 
uh, passed around to various churches. And as Matt said uh, previously, one of the nice things about this book is he uh, is pretty specific with his purposes. He's pretty specific with uh, why he's writing. So a couple times he says, I'm writing this so that, and then he gives an example, so that you too may have fellowship with us, so that our joy may be complete, so that you may not sin. I'm writing about those who are trying to deceive you. And then the big one at the end, I'm writing so that you may know you have eternal life. Just, just looking at these, I think we get a, a, an interesting picture of, of what we do here on a Sunday morning, the things that we try to accomplish. We want to fellowship with one another. We want to rejoice, and a person who maybe knows the love of God wants to share in that joy with others. We see uh, that we can combat and challenge and, and uproot sin at its, at its core. We see uh, examples of, of teaching up here or, or conversations with one another where we want to we fight against false teaching or, or people that try to deceive us. And ultimately, we want to be encouraged and reminded that we can know we have eternal life. And we do that on, on a Sunday morning. And this is our, that's our main goal for this morning. In fact, the word know and know you have eternal life is mentioned 37 times in this book. So it's good stuff. And we haven't even gotten to the text yet. So go ahead and open up. We're in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is God's word for us this morning. As we look at this passage, there's three things that I want to explore. So if you have uh, notes or you want to take notes on the back of your bulletin, we're going to have three sections. First, humanity. Humanity particularly about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus' humanity. The second is deity, also about Jesus. We're going to talk about his deity. And the third is where we walk, we as people, we as individuals. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, dive into the text this morning. God, thanks for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and faithfulness and love to us. Lord, I pray uh, in this room that if we have professed our, our faith in Christ and have a relationship with you, that we can be encouraged this morning about the certainty that we have and confidence that we have in you and in him. God, I pray that if we're here this morning and this is all new to us and there's a lot of Christianese words and, and things we don't understand, I pray that you would give us boldness and strength to learn more to grow closer to you, and ultimately to learn what it means to have a saving relationship with Jesus. 
God, we can only do these things by your strength and your power. So I pray that you would help us to do that this morning. Amen. All right, the first section, humanity. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading, but this is quite a wordy passage. I'll read it again, and this time try to find the end of the sentence. Ready? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Semicolon, I don't know if that really counts. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Originally, this is, uh, this is in Greek, and then translated into English over, the t- over time. But also remember that John is an uneducated fisherman. And nonetheless, he's got some insightful truth to share. And as I read this beginning of this passage, I think, yeah, it's powerful, but more so than that, it's earnest. He's got something he wants to say. You ever uh, meet a, a young kid who wants to share something that happened to you, happened to them during the day, and they just can't get the words out? And you're like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. No idea what they're saying, really. Uh, I, I get that feeling from him, but really it inspires some confidence in me because if you look in another book of the Bible, like Luke, who is a, a physician, uh, a, a very well-educated guy, you see a large disparity between uh, the styles of the writing. And so it gives me confidence to know, like I said, that it's, it's a particular historical book. Uh, there are different... Uh, inputs and, and, and styles from different authors as you, as you look through this text. And he is passionate about what he wants to communicate. Uh, you've, I'm sure you've seen it up here with various speakers when as soon as somebody starts to struggle to speak, it's because they're excited about whatever it is they want to talk about. And John's not writing to give some sort of presentation to a class or something like that. He's talking about what he's experienced what he's personally experienced. He was an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. He saw him. He he heard him. He walked with him. He he ate with him. He touched him. If I, uh, I've been starstruck before in my life. I saw Tom Hanks at an Indians game surrounded by like guys in suits so nobody would go and touch him. I know uh, the Beatles, when they were touring, uh, one time played a show in Seattle where the fans mobbed their, uh, their car and destroyed their car, so they hired a getaway ambulance. Well, as soon as you touch somebody physically, you know, like, oh, that they exist right in front of me here. And he was also an eyewitness, not just to the life and ministry of Jesus, but to the death and resurrection of Jesus in the same ways he saw him, and he heard him, and he, he walked with him, and he ate with him. As soon as Jesus is resurrected and meets with the disciples, he says, do you have anything to eat? And he touched him. So it makes sense that what he wants to passionately communicate is, is life, eternal life, as it says several times, the life made manifest, the life, eternal life. In his gospel book, he says, he's quoting Jesus, and Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He had a front row seat to watching Jesus live and then die and then live again. 
And this, this front row seat is important. I recognize that we in this room do not have the advantage of touching Jesus physically at this point in time. So I want to bring up something about our faith. We adhere to something ca- called apostolic authority. Apostolic authority, which in essence is we trust the eyewitness accounts of the ind- individuals who were with Jesus. We trust their words as recorded in Scripture. We, we trust tradition as it has been passed down through the history of the church. And it should be no different than other events in history. Frank Woodruff Buckles was born in February of 1901. And at the age of 16, he enlisted in the U.S. military where he drove ambulances on the front lines in Europe during World War I. He became honorary chairman of the World War I Memorial Foundation. He was awarded the World War I Victory Medal. He was even a, a, a civilian prisoner of war during World War II. Uh, but in many regards, he was just like any other American soldier. Except, over time, Frank Buckles experienced every single one of his comrades die over time. Until he was the last American World War I veteran who died in 2011 at the age of 110. That was in 2011, so it was seven years ago or so. And the moment he died, World War I didn't cease to exist. Uh, if you asked his daughter, Susanna, or, 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 or passed through the, the family of, of the, the Buckles, I'm sure they would have stories after 110 years of life from Frank. John, as an eyewitness, amongst others, should give us confidence in the events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. John, as an eyewitness, should give us confidence. The fact that he saw him and heard him and touched him and ate with him. And then he says it would make his joy complete if you also had what he has. A relationship, a personal relationship with God. I uh, was introduced to... Grilled peanut butter and jelly. Anybody? Anybody have grilled peanut butter and jelly? It's really good. Half of the room is like, yeah. The other half is like, no. Uh, I was introduced to that in college. Uh, and then I, uh, when Emily and I got married, I was like, hey, I'm making dinner tonight. <laughs> She's like, what are you making? And I was like, well, it's going to be a spectacle. I'll tell you that. So I told her what I was making. She'd never heard of it. She's like, that sounds weird. And I'm like, no, no, it's like a grilled cheese, but it's peanut butter and jelly. It's really good. So I kind of had to beg and plead with her. And eventually I said, Emily, listen, I love grilled peanut butter and jelly, and it would make my joy complete <laughs> if you were to share in this experience with me. And now we have it all the time, right, Emily? Many people have expressed a, a frustration with the church or confusion maybe about what the church is. And maybe they just want my money or maybe they just want to judge me. But this is what it's about. Believers, people who have had an experience and a personal relationship with God, want to share that with you. John says, I'm writing to this, this to you so that my joy may be complete. I, Adam, have had a, a personal experience with God, and I, I now have fellowship with him, and I want my friends to experience that with me. I want you to have that too. Pastor Matt has had a, a relationship with God, and he wants you to have that too. The creator of the universe wants a relationship with me, 
the creation, a created being. And John's enthusiasm here, he's saying that we're not alone. God's not dead or distant or dormant. He's not some abstract bumper sticker, but he's with us. And that's why around, around Christmas time, we might hear uh, the, the name given to Jesus, Emmanuel. It means this, God with us. If you were studying different world religions or took an interest in, in the beliefs of the world, I would encourage you not to skip over this unique aspect of Christianity. That the creator became like the creation What makes Christianity different than all these other religions is instead of you going to God and trying to get to God by being good enough or being holy enough or or, or doing enough of your rites and rituals, instead God has come to you. We call that the incarnation. The same author, John, has previously said this, and the word, he's talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Our God has been seen and heard, and touched, and walked with, and eaten with. Paul says something in Colossians. He says, he, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. And it doesn't stop there. He's not, he's not just with you, but he's also like you. The writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. At some point in our lives, we've all thought, oh, if, if only somebody has, has under, understood me, if only somebody could, could understand the situation that I'm going through, if only, if only somebody could understand that, that I'm a single mom and I'm, I'm working three jobs just to make ends meet and I need to do this to provide for my kids, but it means I, I can't spend as much time with them. Or, or if, only buddy, if, if only somebody has understood me and I'm, I'm the burnout kid in high school and, and I look to drinking and drugs because I think that'll solve my problems or at least lessen the pain a little bit or or if only somebody has understood me because I'm in a marriage and I feel like I made a mistake and things are falling apart or I'm not saying that Jesus was a, a single mom or in a failing marriage or any of this but he understands and can identify with our humanity with what it means to feel pain and what it means to feel suffering or, or, or sadness. He was called man of sorrows. We have a God who is with us and like us. And that's, that's good news. That's good news. Deity. Deity is next. In verse 5, John says this, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I take comfort in the fact that Jesus is like us, but I also take comfort in the fact that in many ways, Jesus is not like us.
God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is originally written in Greek, and so there's a, there's a double negative being used here, but that doesn't work for us in English because we don't want to cancel it out. So we, we make up for that by having the words at all here. But it really uh, it goes something more like this. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, none at all. Go ahead and, uh, if you would, uh, mission view, would you say none at all with me right after this? Ready? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In me, there's darkness. In Adam, there's darkness. Uh, you can ask anybody I know. For a long, long time, humanity has had something within us, a, a virus within us that we call sin. It's an act against God or an offense against a holy God. God doesn't have sin. He's holy, which means set apart, and he's perfect, and he's pure, and he's morally excellent and good. And this sin within me separates me from God and keeps me from having a relationship with him. And Jesus was a man, yes, but not just a man. So just as the Father, God the Father is holy and set apart and, and perfect, Jesus is holy and set apart and perfect. He's both fully God and fully man somehow. That passage in Hebrews that I just shared goes on. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. God is light and him, in him is no darkness at all, none at all. Fully, fully human, Jesus can identify with us. But fully God, Jesus can save us. Fully human, Jesus can help us, but fully God, Jesus can heal us. Fully human, Jesus can relate to us, but fully God, Jesus can redeem us. Fully human, Jesus can die, but fully God, Jesus can be raised from the dead. In his humanity, we see that Jesus was willing to pay the price for our sin, but in his deity, we see that Jesus was able to pay the price for our sin. Only God could do that. I am thankful that the creator of the universe can identify with me, but also could do what I could never do. I couldn't be a good enough parent. I couldn't be a good enough student. I couldn't be a good enough employee. I couldn't give enough to charity to earn my way to God and to, to break that issue, that sin issue. I couldn't cleanse myself of it. And in this race, I can't get to the end. I can't get to God. But Jesus can. So what, what, what about us? Where do, we, where do we walk? Verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But... If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Remember, John is speaking to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. He's also addressing particular concerns. One of the concerns is something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is this. It's this idea that the spiritual and the spiritual world is purely divine and good, while everything material and physical is entirely evil. Gnosticism. I don't know, I don't think I know anybody who's like, oh yeah, I'm a Gnostic. What's wrong with this philosophy here is this philosophy can't reconcile the incarnation. So they can't put the pieces together of how Jesus was both fully man and fully God at the same time. Likewise, it would adversely affect their behavior. And he goes on and he refutes specific examples of why. So he says, if we say, he's referring to a Gnostic ideal. If we say, you have fellowship with God, but you live in darkness, you lie. One Gnostic claim is that they had fellowship with God, the light, yet their lives showed that they continued to live in moral darkness, in sin. Which makes sense if you follow this line of thought, that all of the things spiritual are, are good and pure and perfect, and I'm a man and my body doesn't matter, and, and the physical world doesn't matter, and so I can just stay in the darkness. Even the word in here, fellowship with God but living in darkness, refers not so much to like a direction. It's not that they were moving away from the light and towards darkness. It refers to a positional decision. I'm deciding to be away from the light. I'm deciding to be in darkness. It's a claim to be with God while conscientiously living apart from him. I think this would be a small percentage of people uh, in this room. But if we were to maybe add a modern day term, I would say it's hypocrisy. The biggest complaint that individuals have with, with Christianity is hypocrisy. Oh, I know so-and-so and he says that he's a Christian, but he just cheated on his wife. Or I know so-and-so and he says that he's a Christian and he gives money to the church, but he just cheated on his taxes. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light, we are cleansed from sin. The second Gnostic thing that he's combating here is if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The, the second Gnostic claim is that a person could lose their ability to sin. So once they get saved, they're like, I, I can't sin anymore. Or, and they would say that they, they, they lose their sin nature or their propensity towards sin. Like, I am, I am Superman without kryptonite. I can go anywhere and I can, I can do anything. And this is just ignorance. I think there may be a larger percentage of people who in here experience something like this. Or I, I, I struggle with, with alcohol, but I feel like I can go into a bar and maybe, maybe minister to some people. Or, or I, I struggle with pornography, but I, I feel like I can, I can use the internet. After all, I need to, right, in, in today's society. I feel like I need to be connected and have the internet. He says, don't deceive yourselves. I, uh, Emily and I were on this big health kick, and we decided we were going to get uh, you know, all this healthy food from the grocery store. We had this awesome meal planned one night, and we forgot the main part of the meal, which was the chicken. 
And so I was like, well, I'm going to run over to the store and get some chicken. So I go in, and I'm like, I'm walking through the store. And as I'm heading to the chicken, which is in the back left corner, I'm passing all the produce. And I'm like, you know, this would be really good. So I'm getting some zucchini, and I'm getting some tomatoes. And, and all the while, I'm like, that looks good, but I'm not going to get that because it's not healthy. I don't, I don't need that bag of chips. I don't need it. And I walk through the store, and I'm picking up some things, and I'm, I'm doing really well. I said, get away from me, Coke. And I, and I, I get through, and then, and then it's the hardest part right at the end because there's a whole wall of candy and stuff, you know, by the cash register. And anyway, I check out, and I, I go out, and I take all the groceries to my car. And even on my way out, I see that, you know, the, the bulk buy stuff, you know, at the very beginning when you walk into Acme. And anyway, I walk out, and I put everything in my car, and I forgot the chicken. So I go in, and, but this time I was like, oh, that stuff that I saw in the very front of the store, I'm just going to grab one. I'm going to grab one thing. You know, I'm, I'm just going to add one to add it to my, my bag. And then and I had to think, oh, you know what? And I, was decide, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to get some avocados or not because I wasn't sure if they would be ripe enough, you know. But I'll get them anyway, and I'll just, you know, hold on to them for a couple days until they're ready. And so I grabbed some of those, and I, I walked through, and this time I walked by the chips again, and I said, don't look at me like that. I keep walking, and I, I almost bought a soda right there as I'm checking out. Because it's a little later now. It's probably like a half hour later than when I first walked in there. Anyway, I get all this stuff, and I go back out, and I start driving home. And I forgot the chicken. <laughs> so now I'm not just upset. I'm angry. And I go in, and I'm grabbing stuff, and I go, and I get the chicken, and I make sure that's the first thing I get. And I'm like, well, I deserve a treat. I grabbing sodas and I'm grabbing chips and I walk out with like an extra hundred dollars that I spent in junk food and I, I took it home and, and I realized this about myself. My proximity to sin increases my proclivity to sin. My proximity to sin increases my proclivity towards sin, my propensity towards sin. You might have a, a, a confidence in yourself for a while that you're Superman and sin can't affect you, but it'll run out. It'll run out. Don't deceive yourselves with ignorance. It says, but if we confess, he will forgive us. And then the last one is this. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. One more Gnostic claim is that there are people who never sinned in the first place. Denial. There are people in this room who are here, who are in this, in this camp. And I know you, don't, you wouldn't call yourself a Gnostic, perhaps. People who do not have a relationship with God, we're here. Maybe you think I'm a, I'm a good person, or maybe you think everyone in, inherently is good, or, or maybe you think I'm not great, but I'm better than that guy. Don't make God a liar. Don't tell yourself that you're without sin, because then Jesus would have died for nothing. After all this, we may be tempted to get nervous. We may be tempted to ask ourselves, well, where, where am I relative to the light? Am I like a, a, a Gnostic who, who would claim to be in the light and yet live and practice in darkness? 
Or maybe are we a person who says, I, I can't sin. Or maybe we're a person who says, I, I've never sinned. I want to dip a little bit into chapter 2 because this is where John goes next. He changes his tone and he says, my little children, 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin, but if anyone does sin, and we all do sin, we have an advocate for the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is encouraging us not to live in hypocrisy or live in ignorance or, or live in denial. And these things all have, have pride at their root. We do sin, but we have an advocate. We have an advocate. Imagine with me, if you would, that at the end of your life, you find yourself in a room and for some reason in my head, it's very 70s looking in there. And there's an old beige and brown and yellow couch and a tube TV. And at the end of your life, you'll sit and watch on that screen. Your life played back for you. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, every interaction you ever had, everything you've ever thought about is, is little subtitles at the bottom. And you have to sit there, and you have to sit there with God the Father and watch this. And you know that God is holy and perfect and pure and morally excellent and good. And any offense, any offense that is found on that video will condemn you to a separation of God forever. How long would you last? Any hint of darkness will condemn you because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, none at all. You could, you could try to claim that you were in the light the whole time. You could go through every single offense and try to argue it with God. Well, really what I was trying to do was this, and really what I had hoped to do was, was that, and really the reason I cheated on my taxes was so that I could give more to the church. Or you could try to claim ignorance. Oh, it wasn't my fault. I shouldn't have been able to sin the whole time. You should have took that away. I, I shouldn't have ever, ever been even able to sin. Maybe you'd pin it on God. Or you could claim denial and say, I never did anything wrong. I don't, I don't see anything wrong. I don't see anything wrong with this video. What, what's so bad about it? These are kind of your, your only options. Or, imagine halfway through the film, Jesus walks in and Jesus says, don't worry about him, I've got it. This one's mine. Nobody could ever say Jesus didn't have a, a full enough picture to identify with your humanity. Nobody could say that Jesus wasn't God enough to accomplish what he said he was going to do. Nobody could say that Jesus isn't capable of rescuing and redeeming you from that situation. As fully God and fully man, Jesus is the only one qualified to be your advocate. 1 Timothy 2 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
What I, I want to do this morning is encourage those of us who are in this room who maybe are, are feeling worried about, about the light and, and the darkness, but we've put our saving faith in Christ. I want to encourage you that because Jesus is fully God and because Jesus is fully man, you're covered. But if you're in this room and this is all new to you, and maybe you want to you wanna learn more and you want to know an advocate, I want to encourage you to know Jesus. I want to encourage you to put your, your faith, your saving faith in who he is. As the band begins to, to play uh, one more song, it's very simple. It's very simple, but it's powerful. I'm going to be down here. Um, and if any of the elders are in the room, if you would... Uh, do me a favor and join, uh, join down here kind of towards the stage. Um, I would love to present to people the opportunity to just have somebody pray with you. If you want an advocate, if you need an advocate, tell somebody about it. Talk to somebody about it. God, you are good to us. God, you love us. God, we conf confess that, that we couldn't be enough. We have this sin within us. But we also recognize that in a beautiful exchange, Jesus has run the race and lived the perfect life that I couldn't and died a perfect death to be a perfect sacrifice in order to perfect some very imperfect people, and that's me. God, I pray that you would help us to have a saving faith in Jesus who buried our sin in the ground so that we can have a right relationship with you forever. As we look ahead in this series, God, I pray that you would help us to recognize that we are flawed. We are failures. We are wretches. We are messes. But we are loved. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.